You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to New York. This is the Devil's State State of Mind Mind Podcast, Podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! Woo! What's going on, Devil's fans? My name is Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you all so much for taking some time out of your day to take a listen. It always means a lot to me. Here always on the Devil's State of Mind podcast, we have a ton to talk about, whether it's Devils related, just hockey related, and everything in between. Today, today on the fifth episode of the first season of this podcast, we are going to be discussing something that I've been, I I tweeted out on the Devil's State of Mind Twitter account last week, and I I wanted to get people's opinions on it and things like that. And I got some people who agreed and some people who didn't. So I felt like this would be a good topic of discussion to bring up. The Devils have at the moment a, I believe they have, if my memory is correct, they have Martin Bordeaux, Scott Stevens, Ken Danico, Nina Meyer, and Elias. Yeah, they have five players whose numbers have been retired by the organization. So, obviously, the names that I just mentioned, Martin Brodeur, greatest goalie to ever play the position. It can be argued, but, but I think a lot of what he's done speaks for itself. You have Scott Stevens, Ken Danico, Scott Nina Meyer, and Patrick Elias, who unfortunately missed out for the second time uh, of getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I was going to talk about that, um, and I may still talk about it a little bit here later on in this episode, but he did not get in. I still think in another year or two he probably should get in, considering what he did for the Devils organization, helping them win two Stanley Cups and things like that. But on today's episode, I want to talk about somebody that was actually a part of all three Stanley Cup championship teams. He actually played in four of the five Stanley Cups the Devils have been in, Stanley Cup Finals. And he's the only player of the five 
that his number is not retired by the New Jersey Devils, and that is Sergey Breland. Now, for a lot of you younger Devils fans, you may not know who Sergey Breland is and what kind of contributions he brought to the Devils organization in the you know in the mid '90s and then the early 2000s. He actually did quite a lot that I think people, a lot of Devils fans, even people who have watched the Devils for a long time, don't even really fully remember and recognize what Breland was able to do and help with the Devils, you know, becoming a consistent and talented franchise. So the backstory of Sergey Breland starts out like this. He was drafted in 1992 with the 42nd overall pick, so that's in the early second round of the 1992 draft. He was selected by the Devils. He was playing at Moscow. Um, in Russia. So obviously Lou Lemerell, knowing how much he loves, you know, the Russian hockey players and he sees a lot of talent in them, he took a flyer on Sergey Breland. And Sergey Breland was a very talented young forward that the way his scouting report went is a versatile defensive forward capable of playing on all three different forward positions. So he could be a centerman, he could be a left or right wing. So clearly, Lou Lamrell, being the person that he is, understood that this guy had a lot of value, especially considering where he was drafted. So the so the Devils, with their very with their very very well understanding scout system, decided that this was going to be the guy that they wanted to take. And Sergey Breland had to wait a couple more years. I think he played another year in Russia. He did also play a little bit down in Albany with the River Rats. So. If anybody remembers the Albany River Rats, who eventually became the Albany Devils, and then now is the Binghamton Devils, uh, that was that was their minor league affiliate. But Sergey Breland played there for a while, and he seemed to, you know, gain a lot of interest and a lot of, you know, notice from the the big club from the Devils. So much so that he actually played 26 games in the 1994-95 season and was on the Devils team and played in the playoffs, I think on the third or fourth line. He was on the Devils when they went on to win the Stanley Cup in 1995 when they swept aside the highly the heavily favored Detroit Red Wings. But Sergey Breland did actually help the Devils in 1995. He actually had a couple of pretty, pretty good games. You know, he was one of those guys that, look, he didn't, necessarily put up you know eye-popping numbers in his career you know but the thing that Lou Lemerell saw in Sergey Breland that again I don't think people at times look at all is their all-around games things that they do that you don't notice one of the things because I saw Sergey Breland play towards the back end of his time in New Jersey is that he was a excellent penalty killer when, when it came time to have to kill off penalties, he was one of those guys you really could depend on. Because again, the fact that he could be a left winger, a right winger, a centerman, it didn't matter. He could play any position, made it easy for him and the Devils coaching staff, whoever it was at the time, to put him in positions where he could help elevate the game of other players. And because the Devils during that time were very big on Russian players, he was able to help you know, not only on the ice, but off the ice when it came to helping the players understand, you know, what it takes to be successful in the National Hockey League. So that was something. And again, like I mentioned, Sergey Freeland is one of five Devils who played in, on all three Stanley Cup teams. He also was on the 2001 team. He played from 1995 to 2008 his entire career with the New Jersey Devils. 
And obviously, if you look at the other guys that have had their numbers retired, what do they all have in common? They pretty much, for the most part, if you don't count you know, Scott Stevens playing in St. Louis and Washington for a little bit, they pretty much played their entire career with the doubles. And also you can put in, you know, Mark Timberter played a couple of, a couple of, a couple of games with the St. Louis Blues, but I, I don't really talk about those days. Um, still a weird, weird situation that he, uh, he ended up doing that. But nonetheless, the thing about it is this. When people look at players who get their numbers retired and get all those impressive accolades, the first thing that they look at is what individually they were able to do. And it's understandable when you look at Sergey Breland and say, okay, the man did not have any significant things happen to him individually. You look at it from the team standpoint, he was a vital player for on a team on a in a franchise that from the mid 90s to the early 2000s was one of the more dominant franchises in the NHL, winning three Stanley Cups, playing in four Stanley Cup finals and just being that consistently good. And even towards the back end of Sergey Breland's time in the National Hockey League, he was still a very vital player. It act, you can honestly make the argument because three of his four seasons where he got 20-plus goals, it was actually in his 30s. So it was almost like as he got older, he got better scoring-wise. When you look at his stats, I mean, if you really just look at him, you would have to say on a, I would say on a year-to-year basis, the way you would look at it is simply this. He wasn't a guy that's just going to put up a lot of stats. He's really not. Like, he's going to give you maybe, you know, 30 points, which is still very solid, okay? I mean, every team has guys that are going to give you 25, 30, 35 points. But what, you, what we tend to forget as fans, because we're so big on stats, that's how we analyze players. That's how we determine whether they're good or not. The way you can really, you know, judge if a hockey player is good or not is not just about the stats, but if you're watching your team from a game-to-game basis and really analyzing it, you also have to look at what if they, what do they contribute throughout. So, let me give you another example. A lot of people I have talked to are not the biggest fans of a guy like Travis Zajac, who has basically played his entire career with the New Jersey Devils. And the reason is because Travis Zajac has never been a 25-30 goal scorer. He has showed promise. In 2012, when the Devils were making their Stanley Cup Finals run, he was a big part of that. He was scoring a lot of really big goals against Florida. He scored the game-winning goal in Game 6 in overtime to force Game 7. He had a couple goals in the series against the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals. And yeah, in the Stanley Cup Finals, he didn't do a whole lot when it came to putting the puck in the back net. Because again, what is one of the biggest things that we look at as hockey fans? Can these guys put the puck in the back of the net? So we have that situation. But when you look at Travis Zajac's game as a whole, especially as he's gotten older, the one thing that I think people haven't looked at is that Travis Zajac is percentage-wise one of the top centermen in the National Hockey League. Now, what do I mean by percentage-wise? Well, when you look at Travis Zajac's percentage of how many time of the amount of faceoffs that he wins, he's better than a lot of players. There was actually a time for a couple years where Travis Zajac's faceoff percentage and the amount of faceoffs that he won was a lot better than someone like Sidney Crosby, who is considered one of the best, if not the best player in the NHL even today. 
So that shows you the type of things that you don't notice. And then you hear players talking about he's a great influence in the locker room. He understands, you know, what it means to be in New Jersey, be part of the Devils organization and things like that. And that you have to go back to and give a lot of credit to Lou Lamorell. He built a culture that made players not only want to come to New Jersey, but play for many, many years in New Jersey. And that, and as you could see, Zajac and Andy Green were the last, you could really say, that were really a part of that whole thing where they basically played their entire career in New Jersey. Now, obviously, Andy Green was dealt to the New York Islanders, so that kind of ended his reign as being one of those guys that's played their entire career in one place. Travis Zajac, who is getting close to 1,000 games, I think he's, he's actually seven games away from reaching 1,000. So had the regular season been able to continue, he probably this last season would have definitely gotten to 1,000 games, which is a milestone that I just don't think gets noticed enough. But, you know, I'm sure that if, if it looks like he's definitely going to be playing next year and the Devils want to keep him around, he will definitely be he will definitely get to a thousand games in a New Jersey Devils uniform, which is which is great. Is Travis Zajac another one of those guys that you could say could you put his number up in the Raptors? I think from a stat standpoint and the longevity that Zajac has had, I think you could say in one way or another that he has had from you know from that standpoint a better case than maybe someone like Sergey Brilliant. But again. Let me drop some other things that I think people don't think about as well. When it comes to getting into the postseason, it's not always your top scores, your star players that you look to, to win you games, to score big-time goals, to just make big-time plays that you need in those critical games. Because let's face it, once you get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, Anything can happen. I mean, really, because, again, hockey is such a magical, unpredictable sport, at any moment, any team can be beat. Like, for instance, last year in the Stanley Cup playoffs, round one, Columbus versus Tampa. Tampa's beating the crap out of the Blue Jackets in the first period of game one. What happened between that point and then when we got to the end of that series? Well, this is what happened. John Tortorella went in the locker room after the first period, read his team the riot act saying, we're not, are we really here just to get our, our butts kicked and lose in four straight? And the team responded exactly the way that Tortorella wanted them to. They came back, they won that game, they won game two, and then won games three and four at home and swept aside, swept aside the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were one of the favorites, if not the biggest favorite, to go and win the Stanley Cup that year. So it's things like that. Did anybody expect the Vegas Golden Knights a couple years ago, in the first year of their existence, to have a season like they did, to have a playoff run like they did, and finish just three wins away, just three wins away from winning a Stanley Cup in their first season of existence? No. But that's the beauty of this sport, that at any moment, anything can happen. So going back to my original point with, with just the players, you have to have all guys on deck because at any moment, you're, uh, a guy on the third or fourth line could really you know, make the difference in a series. And I'll use a devil's example with that. 
for a lot of you younger Devils fans, you know probably where I'm going with this, but just go back to the 2012 Cup year. What was the difference between the Devils and the teams that they faced in the first round, the second round, and third round, and even to a lesser extent in the Stanley Cup Finals from time to time, is that the Devils had a fourth line of Steven Gianta, Ryan Carter, and Steve Bernier, who, is, who was at the time wearing Sergey Breland's number 18, but that's besides the point, who basically game in and game out were scoring big-time goals, making a lot of really critical plays that resulted in the Devils winning games. Ryan Carter in particular. Ryan Carter had probably one of the biggest goals of the season, other than obviously Adam Henrique's game six overtime game-winning goal. His goal, Ryan Carter's goal in game five, gave the Devils a 4-3 to lead that the Devils eventually were able to go on and win that game in Madison Square Garden, 5-3, to to take a three games to two lead in that Eastern Conference Finals, to which they eventually ended up winning in the aforementioned game six. Ryan Carter also did that in the Stanley Cup Finals two or three times. He did it earlier in that Eastern Conference Finals. He was a consistent player. Steven Gianta, even though he was, he was very small, obviously, he could throw his body around. Steve Bernier, he was a guy that if you needed a goal to get the team rolling, I mean, you, you're, you're tied, you know, maybe a couple minutes into the first period to start the game. He gets a big goal. All of a sudden, the roof is blowing off. By the way, the first goal of game six of the Eastern Conference Finals was scored by that fourth line. They also scored two or three times in the Stanley Cup Finals. They were unfortunately on the ice for the infamous, you know, 10-minute penalty against Steve Bernier, which he got thrown out in game six. So they were on the ice for a lot of good and bad things that turned around a lot of the games that were very critical in that, in that entire Stanley Cup playoff run. So it's, it's those guys like that. Did anybody expect it? No. If you're going to see that, you obviously would expect it to be guys like Zach Parisi, Ilya Kovalchuk, Adam Henrique, you know, guys like that. But it doesn't always work out that way. It does not always work out where your top guys, your top guys. You're going to have games in the playoffs where you're going to need a collective effort from many different guys. And Sergey Breland, whether people realize it or not, was one of those guys that was very underrated throughout his entire career and especially in the playoffs. I look at, in particular, this, this is what I look at. I look at 2000 when the Devils won the Stanley Cup in six games over Dallas and also in 2001 when the Devils lost in seven games to Colorado. There were at least, I think I could count, maybe eight to ten times where Sergey Breland either scored a goal or set up a goal that was monumental that turned around the momentum in whatever game they were playing. And he, and they, he just had a connection because the connection that he had was that it didn't matter what line you put him on, he was going to make the players around him better. So there was a time when Jason Arnett was out. So who did they implement in Arnett's spot? They put Sergey Breland along with Peter Sikora and Patrick Aliash. Well, guess what? they picked up right where Arnett had left off and were still putting the puck in the back net. Was it Breland doing the scoring? No. He was doing a lot of the dishing out, maybe setting up an odd man rush going the other way to eventually leading to a goal. So it was things like that that you really have to say, you know, yeah, he, looked, he really did do a very good job of, you know, 
understanding you know, where the players were, how to put them in the best position to succeed, and go from there. Sergey Breland, like I mentioned before, played from 1995 to 2008 his entire career with the Devils. He did not go anywhere else. Lou Lamorell didn't want him to, to leave or anything like that. It was unfortunate because Breland, after the 07-08 season, had said that he wanted to play one more season in New Jersey. The Devils did not see it that way, and he ended up going back to Russia to play a year in the KHL. And then he tried again to be re-signed by the Devils, and it didn't work out. And that's when he eventually, you know, realized that, you know, he had to play the rest of his time in Russia. And I believe he stopped playing in either 2012 or 13 while he was back home. But this was some of the main stats, and I'm sure a lot of you want to hear, from Sergey Breland's career. He finished playing in 765 games with 129 goals and 179 assists. And only four times in his career, he had more than 20 goals, including I think it was 0506, the year after the, the lockout, he actually had 29 goals, which was his career high. But like I mentioned, three of the four times that Sergey Breland had 20 plus goals was in his 30s. So, again, because Brilliant also at that point was dependent on a lot more, he was a top six forward and not a bottom six, he was going to be relied on to be a lot more of a scoring threat. And he became that. And that's what it takes, in my opinion, to really have success and longevity in whatever you do, is that if you're able to adapt to what's going on, if you're able to adapt to certain things, I did an episode on my sports podcast, the Mofobo Network podcast, which, by the way, you should check out, and I'll promote that towards the end of this Devil's State of Mind episode. But I was talking about Vince Carter. So for a lot of you guys who are from Canada that might be listening to this, you obviously have heard of Vince Carter in one way or another. He helped put the Toronto Raptors on the map. Vince Carter, the biggest accomplishment that he made in his entire career was simply that he is the first and only player in NBA history to play in four different decades. Why did he, how was he able to do that? It was simple. Is that as the game evolved, so did Vince Carter. He went from being a high-flying dunker to a guy that was just dependent on being a three-point shooter to eventually being a role player to a bench player. And then he became a mentor for a lot of young players. That is what Sergey Breland became. Sergey Breland, when he came to the Devils, was a bottom six forward. That was one of those guys we were looking for to get a big-time goal here or there when your top six guys were struggling and getting dominated by the defense of the other team. As the years went on, and guys like, you know, Jeff Friesen, you know, Alexander McGillney, guys like that, and also, you know, Patrick Elias getting older, Peter Sikora moving on, Guys like that, as they started to move on or retire, or whatever the case may be, Breland moved up the depth chart from bottom six to middle of the pack to eventually top six to at one time in the mid-2000s on that first line. And every single time, he got better. He worked on the things that he had to. Once you get into that top six, you realize that your role shifts from a guy that's probably going to be relied on more to be a penalty killer, a defensive forward, things like that, you have to evolve into a scoring threat or at least a guy that can set up goals better. And that's what Breland did for a lot of his career is that he went from being a defensive forward, which was his scouting report coming out of Russia when he was drafted in 92, 
to a guy who eventually became a scoring machine, not a scoring machine, but definitely a scoring threat, a guy who did a phenomenal job of setting up other guys, and also being an incredible, an absolutely incredible locker room presence. And Breland was one of the many examples, like Zajac and Andy Green, that enjoyed being in New Jersey. They loved being, you know, having Lou Lamorella as their boss and just, you know, playing for the Devils. And it showed by playing his entire career with the Devils. And it's just something that you have to give credit where credit is due. Now, it's worked out so much that Sergey Breland has been back with the Devils organization as an assistant coach down in Binghamton. There have been talks over the last couple of years, and this was actually before John Hines was hired as the head coach a few years ago, that we were actually wondering if Sergey Breland was eventually going to be either a head coach with the Devils or at least an assistant in New Jersey because Rick Kowalski at the time was the head coach in Albany, which eventually became Binghamton, and he was doing a very good job. But a big reason for that was because of the, the, the coaching understanding of Sergey Breland. Sergey Breland, what he does so well as a coach, just like he did as a player, is that he just understands, number one, what it takes to get to the National Hockey League. Number two, how to stay there. And number three, how to play for a team like the Devils. Because obviously that's the only team he's known. I'm really happy that the Devils have allowed him to be a part of this organization. I think it's important when you have an organization like this with great players to have them remain involved within the organization to help influence younger players that are coming through on what it takes to be a New Jersey Devil and how to be successful in this organization. And so that's what Sergey Breland's done. And Breland has been an assistant coach for quite some time in the Devils organization. But when Rick Kowalski was rumored to maybe get an opportunity to be the Devils head coach, it wouldn't have surprised me if Breland had come with him, you know, went with him and became an assistant with the Devils. There's still a possibility because, look, right now we don't even know who the GM is going to be. We still have to figure that out. The Devils have also said they're on a coaching hire pause. They're not making any decision right now. And for all we know, whoever the Devils' next head coach is, they may want to look at someone like Sergey Breland and say, you know what, he's been here for – for a long time, just like Martin Brodeur, just like Patrick Elias, who's still involved as well, you know, I think we should, and, and he's done a very good job as an assistant, we have to look at it. A big example is look how Binghamton finished the season last, you know, finished before obviously the season was, was abruptly stopped. The, the, the Binghamton Devils were in the second half of the season the hottest team in the AHL and would have probably made the playoffs had the season continued and finished because they were just on a tear. I think they ended up winning something like 11, 12 games in a row. I mean, they were playing phenomenally. And that was something that really caught my eye. It certainly caught the eye of the big club. And as a result, you had some players getting opportunities to get called back up. You know, Corey Schneider in his second stint coming from Binghamton had somewhat of a revival. Jesper Boquist has looked like he has improved a lot. Michael McLeod, same thing. You know, guys like that. And even Yanni Polkinen was doing very well in the only handful of games he played in Binghamton before he was called up to the Devils. So a lot of that not only is on the head coach, but you also have to give credit to a guy like Sergey Breland as an assistant. Because here's the thing. When you're a head coach, 
you have to monitor everything. You can't have necessarily that many personal relationships with the players. But when you're an assistant, it's easier because you get to spend more time with the players. You get to learn more about them. You get to learn about more, you know, what makes these players tick. And that's what Sergey Breland is good at. He's a player's coach. He's a guy who gets it. He understands it. And the fact that he is one of the one of only five guys that has been on every single championship team the Devils have had just shows you the type of value that Sergey Breland has. And to me, that's a big reason why I think Breland's numbers should be retired. So that's pretty much the, the main point of this entire, this entire episode that I wanted to discuss with you guys today. It's basically that I think Sergey Breland's numbers should be retired. Now, I mentioned before earlier in this episode that I had had conversations with several other Devils fans that said, he's definitely a guy that you could put in a ring of honor if the Devils ever did something like that. But as far as somebody that we can put as a guy we have his number retired, it doesn't, you know, do we really want that? Well, here's the thing. Let's look at the guys whose numbers are retired. Martin Berdur. There really isn't anything else to say. Without a doubt, hands down, greatest goaltender to ever play. play. Played pretty much his entire career with the Devils. Not fully, but still. Scott Stevens, the best, without a doubt, one of the best defensemen that, one of the best defensive defensemen in NHL history. He was so intimidating in his time. I mean, you look at some of the hits he, he, he put on people. He put hits on guys like Eric Lindros, Paul Correa, Kozlov, you know, guys like that. They put the fear of God in a lot of people. Same thing to a little bit lesser extent with Ken Danico. Ken Danico, Mr. Devil. He's now the Devil's color commentator. Everybody loves him. He's just, and he's loved being in New Jersey. He's played his entire career with the Devils. Scott Niedermeyer, a tremendous pick by the Devils in the same draft year as Eric Lindros. Scott Niedermeyer became the number one defenseman on this team he also was a big part of the Devils Stanley Cup championship teams. He went on to continue to have success when he went to Anaheim, and he eventually became a Hall of Famer. Then you have Patrick Elias. Patrick Elias, the, top, the, the best scorer in Devils history. He has a handful of the scoring records on this team. He was a dynamic forward, a guy that just, very similar to Sergey Breland, could pretty much do it all. And as he got older, at times he got better. And it didn't matter what type of players he was playing with, he was still going to have that success. So right there, so all those guys, all those guys have tremendous, tremendous contributions. My question is this, what is the difference in contribution-wise between those guys and what Sergey Breland did? The only reason I could come up with is that, number one, people don't talk about him enough, which is why I'm making this episode. Number two, you look at his stats and they say, ah, I mean, that's, you know, just over 300 points. That's, that's, that's very, you know, uh, you know, very solid. But, you know, was he ever the top scorer? Was he ever, you know, a, a, a top player in the, you know, in the NHL as a whole? Did he ever make an all-star game? Understandably, no, he didn't. But you have to look at the entire body of work. Should the Devils have a ring of honor? Yes. But should they also retire Sergey Breland's number and honor him the way that they should? Yes, because he's one of five players that was able to win three Stanley Cups, okay? Patrick Elias was only on the 2000 and 2003 teams, okay? 
and he and he played in four Stanley Cup finals. Sergey Breland also played in four finals, but he won three Stanley Cups. Right from the time he got on the Devils to the time he retired, he was one of the consistent players that you saw every single year. And that's because Lou Lamorell and the Devils organization saw how much value he had both on and off the ice. And you can see it now with the way he's helped develop some of the young players that we see coming from Binghamton. I can almost guarantee you that when we start seeing some of these young guys that are going to get called up and some guys that are going to eventually go to Binghamton, the first guy that they're going to learn to, to learn from and understand is going to be Sergey Breland. So at the end of the day, Breland has made such a huge contribution throughout the entire Devils organization as a player and also as a coach. I think, it, I think he's due. I really do think that he deserves it. I think that the numbers with regards to what he did in the NHL don't fully speak for themselves. I think it's unfair to just look at it. The fact that he's, he won three Stanley Cups, he was, part of, he was part of only a handful of guys that won three Stanley Cups. He's, an, he's, a, he's a massively valuable part to, this, to Devil's history. I mean, you look at him, you, you think about it, he played over a decade, almost a decade and a half, in one place. And he's the last, he's the last devil before Travis Ajak that, that played pretty much his entire career with the devils. Also with Patrick Elias as well. But you look at, you look at that and I, and, I, and it's just upsetting that not enough people look at it and say, yeah, you know what? He really did a lot both on and off the ice, but that's the thing. We don't see what happens off the ice. We get told about it by players and management and things like that. But at the end of the day, we don't see it in person. And then all the other things when it comes to being a successful penalty killer, you know, setting up guys on the power play, you know, things like that. It doesn't get noticed as much. We always look at, you know, how many goals does this guy score? How many assists does this guy, this guy score? You know, how many big memorable things do we have? Well, I think if you ask a lot of older Devils fans who have watched this team, especially in those 90s and 2000s, I think that they would honestly be on my side and say, yeah, you know what? Sergey Breland was an invaluable part to this organization, and he came through in big-time situations. Every single year that the Devils won the Cup, 95, 2000, 2003, they had a handful of guys that came through that had a nose for the goal and wanted to put the puck in the net. In 95, the big guy was Claude Lemieux. In 2000, the big guy was Alexander McGillney. 2003 was Jeff Friesen. But I can also argue that in 95, 2000, and 2003, Sergey Breland was also right there. Another guy that you just look to to try to get you a goal when you really needed it the most. And he came through time in and time out. And that's the thing. So at the end of the day, my, my belief is that I believe that Sergey Breland's number should be retired. I think he should be honored a lot more than the way that the Devils organization has honored him. And I really hope that they – that you know, for if by some miracle they somehow listen to this episode, that they just understand that, that Breland has done so much for this Devils organization as a player, as a coach, you know, as a person, whatever you want to look at, that he should be recognized in that way. And I will also leave you with this. If you ask any of the guys whose numbers are retired right now and ask them if they thought that Sergey Breland's numbers should be retired, I would almost guarantee you that every single one of those guys, Berder, Stevens, Danico, Niedermeyer, Eliash, even you can even ask Lula Morel. I can almost guarantee you that they would agree with me and say, yes, Sergey Breland's number should be retired by the New Jersey Devils. And with that being said, that'll do it for this episode 
of the Devil State of Mind podcast. It's a little bit shorter than what you guys have uh, heard in the last couple of episodes, but I hope you guys still enjoyed it. I love making, I love doing this. I love, you know, doing these podcast episodes. I love talking Devils hockey. This was a topic that I thought was kind of interesting to bring up. Obviously, there's not much else to talk about at the moment, but I'm sure things will ramp up over the next couple of weeks. But with that being said, if you want to check out more of the Devil State of Mind podcast, this is what you do. Number one, you go on any place you find podcasts, wherever you listen to them, and you type in Hockey Podcast Network, and you look for the Devil State of Mind. It's going to be right there. You can also check out all the other you know, team-based podcasts that we have on the network. They're a lot of fun. There's a lot of great personalities on there, a lot of great topics, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. It's just, a, it's a wonderful network that I'm very proud to be a part of, but if you want to check it out, more of this podcast and all the other ones, just go to the hockeypodcastnetwork.com. Or if you want to, you know, like I said, go to where you, wherever you listen to podcasts and just look up Hockey Podcast Network and you will also see the Devil State of Mind podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Devil State where I you know, post different, different opinion things. And also when new episodes are out, follow us on Instagram at Devil State of Mind. And also check out our Facebook page where you can stay up to date with new episodes that come out every single Monday. Also, from more of a personal standpoint, make sure you also go check out Mofobo Network. We have a podcast, which is available on Anchor and Spotify. We also have a YouTube channel and we have a Facebook page just like the Devil State of Mind one, where you can stay up to date with new episodes, whether it's a podcast episode or a YouTube video. You can go check that out. That's where I talk about everything that's going on in the world of sports. So it's a little bit different than obviously this, but go check it out if you want to check out more of me. You can follow me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W and on Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11. And last, but certainly not least, ladies and gentlemen, Go check out my book on Amazon.com, which is titled J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 which is about the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, a sports fan, or if you know anybody who's any, anything like that, or if you just want to support me, go check it out on Amazon. It's on sale for the price of $19.69. And if you're a Jets fan, you've probably figured out why I chose that price. It's available for hardcover and ebook. So... My name is Neil Villapiano. Thank you for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. And we will see you all in the next one. Everyone continue to be safe out there. You know, when, when you go out, make sure you wear a mask. You know, try to be as, you know, unselfish as possible. Just try to, you know, just stay as safe as possible. If you have to go out, wear a mask. If you, you know, if you need to wear gloves to feel extra safe, do that. You know, whatever makes you guys feel the most comfortable. Shout out to all the essential workers throughout this entire country who are working, you know, 24-7, 365 to try to help us get through this very difficult time with COVID-19 and all of the other, you know, health situations that we're dealing with. So thank you to all of them. Thank you to, thank you to everyone who listened to this episode and rock on. Woo!